recognized, been told, how much of the Gospels spend time on the last week of Jesus. We talk about why this week is so important. I talk every year about that risk of going Sunday to Sunday to missing the week. And the Gospels remind us how important they are. Matthew and Mark spend almost a third of the entire Gospel of their Gospels on just the last week of Jesus' life. Luke spends about half of his Gospel on the last week of Jesus's, I'm sorry, spends about a fourth of his gospel on the last week of Jesus's life. John, the gospel of John, starts to tell the story of the last week of, of that triumphal entry of the beginning of that week. It begins in John chapter 12. John chapter 13, which we read from tonight, begins the story of this night. As, and it continues in John 14, John 15, John 16, John 17, John 18. And we are still on Monday, Thursday. John 18 is where Jesus is arrested. Late night, early morning on Friday in the Garden of Gethsemane. That's how important this is. That's how much this matters. How much of the ministry and the life and the story of God in Christ comes down to these events on Thursday and Friday, and of course, Sunday. But we, we need to be here for a few minutes tonight. We need to be thinking about this scene that we've read from around the table. When this kind of a table. But, but that's what the altar is for us. It's, it's a table. It's the table of the Lord. And it reminds us of this. And the events and the people that were there. And I often spend time thinking about those. There's so much uh, to the story and so many players involved in the entire night. Certainly James and John and Peter are central. But I think over the years some of you probably have picked up on that, that the character that most intrigues me, most fascinates me by his presence in this part of the story is Judas. Judas's presence at the table, if I'm honest, baffles me a little bit. And we'll get to that in a moment. But, but let's think about Judas. Now, we don't know a lot about him. The Scriptures really, up until the very end, don't mention Judas much at all. But we know by his very name that he was off to a good start. He has a very famous and prominent and important name in, in, the, in, in the Bible stories. Judas was... A significant name. In fact, one of the name of um, the, the uh, sons of Jacob was Judas. One of the, the, the names, Jesus' own brother was named Judas, the one who we attribute to the writing of the New Testament book of Jude. And one of the heroes of the, Judas, of the Jewish people was Judas Maccabeus, who had led a revolt years before the life of Jesus, that had liberated the Jews from the, 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 the um, rule of the Greeks at the time. He was kind of the equivalent of a George Washington figure for, for the Jewish people. So, so he had a name that, that meant something. And Iscariot, we're not really sure about whether that may have referenced 
where he was from, which would have been a, a southern part of Judea, kind of a little bit of an outsider to most of Jesus' group that were northern Galileans. It could have referenced, um, actually in, in some, they believe it's a reference to the word assassin, to, to those who were kind of freedom fighters, maybe. Who knows? We're not really sure. And, and some even think that in the Aramaic it may have been attributed to the role he would eventually play of, of betrayer. But, but the point is there was something at one point very valuable, important, significant, admirable about Judas. I mean, after all, he was picked by Jesus to be one of the twelve. That tells us right there that Judas saw in him Potential. Jesus saw in Judas potential. That, that he was one described as the one who might have been because he was part of the, the inner circle and, and at least trusted enough to be the treasurer of the group. He handled the money. You don't just give that to somebody that you don't have some level of trust in. In fact, at the end of the, the gospel reading tonight, that's, that's what the disciples assumed when, when Judas got up and left, that Jesus was telling them to go and do something with the money to purchase or to give to the poor. So, so Judas, even though we don't hear a lot about him, he's, he's an important part of the circle. He was one of the closest to Jesus. He was, he was his friend. And so it begs the question, what happened? What happened? How of all the people to betray Jesus, all the people to turn on him, all the people to sell him out, does it happen to be one of the ones who was closest to him? He'd spent three years with Jesus. He'd heard the sermons. He'd seen the miracles. He'd witnessed the love. How does this happen? And the short answer is, we don't know. Scriptures don't really tell us. Judas didn't stick around after the story long enough to ever help us get any insight into to what was going on. So, so we do what scholars and historians and theologians and regular church people do. We speculate. wonder what happened. And I do too. And it's certainly not original thoughts with me, but, but I can't help but think that he became disillusioned at some point with Jesus. I mean, something turned after what he had seen and what he had witnessed. And, and I can't help but wonder if Jesus just wasn't the Messiah that he wanted him to be. That what he longed for was the one, like the people of Jerusalem, I think it was the same kind of Messiah they celebrated on Palm Sunday. Whether that's the Messiah Judas wanted, the powerful Messiah that would restore by might and even violence if necessary. And what became clear is that Jesus was not the roaring lion, but he was willing to be the sacrificial lamb. That he would rather take on the suffering than inflict suffering. That rather than righteous violence, he would exhibit sacrificial love. And, and I wonder if that just 
began to undermine Judas's faith. And whether he just believed that this isn't who Jesus ought to be, maybe just that Jesus needed a little push. We know something went wrong in Judas's plan because after the betrayal, after the arrest, when it became clear that Jesus was going to be crucified, if you remember what, what Matthew tells us, that he went back and he took that money to the chief priests and the Pharisees and he threw the money back. And then he went out and he hung himself. Something didn't turn out the way Judas thought it was going to. And I can't help but think that maybe Judas thought he could force God's hand. That, that Jesus would, in his arrest, in his persecution, he would rise up with that power of God. In fact, some have said that Judas might have had the greatest faith of anybody. That he truly believed Jesus was who he said he was. He just didn't understand what that meant. And that Jesus would rather suffer and die than rise up with violence and, and, and anger. But that, that he thought he could push Jesus into an action that he believed was the way of the Christ. Jesus just wasn't who he wanted him to be. And so he chose the wrong road. There's a, a poem that says, Every man must chooseth um, the highway or the low, and, and every man will chooseth which path that he will go. And Judas chose the low road. And so we know that he betrays Jesus. We know that he then becomes immediately repentant of that or, or grief-stricken, guilt-ridden. We know that he doesn't stick around to, to see how the story would end, which I think is the great tragedy of Judas's life. I don't think Judas's greatest tragedy is his betrayal, but I think that he didn't stick around for his redemption. But, but we wonder why. And the scriptures say that Satan entered him. And I, uh, let's talk about that for a moment. Ho uh, sentina, which is the, the Greek word, which means the adversary. It means that which is opposed to the way of God. And, and, and I want to think about this for a second because I want us to always be careful with that. While, because I'm not denying the, the, the reality of Satan. Don't, don't walk out and hear what I'm not saying. But we have a tendency sometimes to use this as that old adage, the devil made him do it. Or the devil made me do it. Right? Well, what the scriptures really want us to understand is that Judas gave himself over to the temptation and to the evil. And, and the, that's important. Judas was in control of his actions. Judas made his choices. And that's why I kind of warn us about the devil made me do it. Hear me say this, the devil ain't making you do nothing. You don't let him lead you to do, More, nor me. But, but he did something. He allowed the evil in. And so all of that sets up what baffles me about the meal. Jesus knows this. And Judas is there. And Judas is there, and so they're, sitting, they're, they're reclining around the table. It tells us that, that when Peter heard this, 
this announcement, Jesus says, that one of you will betray me, that, that he looked to John, who was resting against Jesus. Because the way that they'd rest, and I talk about this every year. Some of you come have heard me use this word before. They sat in the triclidium, which was a three-sided, you know, kind of in a, in a U-shaped. That's what the, the, the practice was. And they'd recline lying down on an elbow, not in chairs the way we. It's, it, it's got to be an awkward way to eat. You know, it's not Da Vinci's table. They're not all on one side facing the camera. You know, it's not that. And, and so scholars, and without getting too deep into it, but they speculate that because of the way that they were climbing, because Jesus hands Judas the bread, that means he's close enough to him to hand the bread to. And if John was reclining against Jesus, he would have been on the right. So Judas probably was, at Jesus is, is, was on his left side. So Jesus would have been reclining against Judas. Think about that. Think about what that must have been like for Judas, knowing he was about to betray Jesus, to feel his presence, to feel his body weight against him the entire night. And what's even more baffling about it is that the seat of honor at the banquet was the seat Judas was in. Let that mess with your head a little bit. He's there. Jesus knows what he's going to do. See, my nature is I would have kicked him out at the, at the moment he walked in. Wouldn't you? I mean, you know that this guy's betrayed you. I mean, this is the knife in the back. This is, the, I mean, there's, there's few pain, there's, there's little pain in life that we experience short of the death of a loved one that I think is as painful as the betrayal of a loved one. And Jesus invites him in. Jesus washes his feet Jesus serves the meal. Judas partakes until he, it is revealed between him and Jesus that Jesus knows what he's going to do. He is the most unexpected guest at the banquet. He is the most unexpected, baffling, confusing, unexplainable guest at the banquet. And I am so thankful he's there. Because it gives me hope. His presence gives me hope. Because, see, our tendency is to vilify him. Rightfully so, to a point. But the question, the hard question to ask ourselves tonight is are we that much different? Maybe not as bold, maybe not as obvious, but do we deny Jesus any less? We sing that hymn sometimes, Take my life and let it be consecrated, Lord, to Thee. Take my life. And we sing it, and we profess it, and we pray it, and then we walk out of here and we go, Well, Lord, maybe not all of it. Maybe just a piece. Can I have some of this back? And we deny Jesus. Or we get in the places where it's just not popular to follow Jesus. It's not cool. It's not um, rational. And we get quiet about our faith. We back away. We pipe down. And we deny Jesus. Or we profess the love 
We talk about grace. We talk about agape, unconditional love, and caring for the needy and the hurting and the broken. And we walk out of here and we see our opportunity. Look, I see my opportunities and I step away. I turn this way when I need to turn that way. I respond in anger and harshness when I should respond in grace and compassion. And I deny Jesus. Are we really that much different? Maybe Judas isn't the most unexpected guest at the banquet. Maybe we are. Maybe we are, because what we are reminded every time we celebrate this meal is that Christ has a place for us. And I'm thankful that Judas was there, because it reminds me that I can be there too. It reminds me that that I can be there too. Because I've said before, the only difference between Peter and Judas is Peter stuck around long enough to be forgiven. I don't think for a second that if Judas, I don't doubt for a second that if Judas had stuck around, he'd have experienced that same grace. There's a, there's a story that's told about an artist that was painting a picture of the Last Supper, a grand He'd been commissioned for this grand piece of art. And so he started with the beloved disciple. He was painting John, and he wanted to find a model to be John. And he went and he looked for a young, vivacious, um, spiritual-looking, whatever that means, um, um, full of life in the eyes, person to come and model for, for, for John. And so he got his model. And he painted and he continued to work on it. The piece of art took years to finish. Five years down the road, he's still finishing it. He finally got to the last disciple to paint, of course. That was Judas. And so he thought, where do I find somebody devious looking? Where do I find somebody who's dead in the eyes, who's looks shady? And so he began to walk the city streets and he finally found this homeless man that kind of fit the bill. And so he offered him a little bit of money. The man said, sure, I'll come do it. And so he came into his studio. And as he's starting to paint, he caught the man just staring at the art, but specifically at John. And the artist looked at him and said, well, that's quite a face there, isn't it? And he said, yeah, it used to be mine. And the artist realized it was the same man that five years earlier had been John. We very easily can be in any place around the table. That can be our face either. And sometimes it is. And sometimes it is. We become the unexpected guests at the banquet. And I am so thankful that Judas was invited to the table. Because it reminds us we are invited to the table. Come tonight as we prepare to receive this meal. Come thankful. Thankful. For the magnificent of God's love. That he would get down on his knees and wash our feet had we been there.
serve us the bread and the juice. Remind us that both in our most glorious moments and our most sinful moments that we have a place at the table. Was Judas unexpected? Yeah. Yeah. He was an unexpected guest. So are we. Amen.